chapter 6 and verse 25, which says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not much? Sorry, no, they're not. Are, you not. are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay, so today, as you will have gathered, we're going to look at what Jesus says about worrying. And I think this is probably a topic which is relevant to most people. I reckon that if I did a quick survey of who tends to worry about things, who gets anxious about things, a good number of people might say, yeah, actually, this is something that I struggle with. Uh, Lots of people, uh, lots of Christians struggle with this. It's um, a topic that a great number of songs have been written about. Uh, The ones that spring spring to my mind were, uh, don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy now. (laughs) A guy called Joe McFerrin. Uh, I was a Dire Straits fan, so they did a song called Why Worry, a bit more obscure maybe, but, uh, and then uh, probably the most, most famous one was Bob Marley's, uh, which was, um, don't worry about a thing, because every little thing's going to be all right. <laughs> what a chorus of people. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray. (laughs) (laughs) There's um, lots of people have written about worry too. Uh, Mark Twain said, I'm an old man and I've known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. Um, A guy called uh, E. Joseph Cosman said, if you want to test your memory... Try and remember what you were worrying about a year ago today. It's quite an interesting one, isn't it? If you want to test your memory, try and remember what was so big in your mind a year ago. Probably won't be able to do it. This one's my favorite by a guy called, I I like his name as well, Cullen Hightower. You ever heard of him? I think he should be famous for this quote. He said, we experience moments absolutely free from worry. These brick. These brief respites are called panic. (laughs) I love that one. (laughs) So, (laughs) rather than just thinking about what singers and authors uh, thought about worry, let's see what Jesus had to say about it. (laughs) Let's try not to put him on a level with some of these 
other guys, where some of them may have got some wisdom to say. Um, but let's try and see that Jesus is bringing the wisdom of God here and dig into that and, uh, and, and try and apply it to our lives as well. Okay, well, the first thing that we need to realize when we start reading this passage is the first word that Jesus uses is therefore. And obviously, um, the Bible has been divided up into little sections, and in my Bible, this is even on a different page. We can forget about what went before. Um, we can forget about what was preached the week before, even. I preached on the passage before, previously, last week. Um, but Jesus is very much linking the two together. When he says, therefore, he means link it in with what I've just said. And what he's just been saying in the previous verses is uh, highlighting about issues to do with money and treasure and who is our God. He's been saying, look, we, we make choices in life. We make a choice. We can either lay up treasure on earth or we can lay up treasure in heaven, make a choice. He was saying about how we see. He said we can either see life uh, and see issues about money and generosity. We can either see them with bad eyes, uh, where we will be sort of begrudging and quite mean and uh, mean-spirited about uh, issues to do with money, or we can see them with good eyes and be generous and gracious and see how God sees them. And then he was saying, and actually, we, we can serve two masters. We've got a choice of two masters. We can't serve both, um, but we choose between them. We either serve God or we serve money. Which one are we going to serve? And obviously, Jesus is encouraging us in these and urging us to lay up treasure in heaven, to have good eyes, to see things the way God sees them, to see the world generously and to be generous, and to serve only God and not serve mammon, be a worshiper of mammon or money. Um, And what Jesus says now about worry follows on from this. In verse 31, He says, look, don't worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear because it's the pagans that run after these things. People who don't put their trust in God. People who don't know God. They are the ones who worship money. They are the ones who who can't see through good eyes. They are the ones who will store treasure on earth. He says it's the pagans who worry about these things because they're they're not seeing things with a godly perspective. They don't put their trust in in God. Don't be like that. If we've rejected mammon, if we've given ourselves to serving God, actually that will help us not to be anxious about the things of this world, about what we'll eat or drink or wear. Jesus is partly addressing the anxiety, I guess, that that comes from uh, people who were in a situation where they were very reliant um, on the success of that year's crops. So when he says, you know, don't be anxious about food, what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink, we might think, actually, of all the things that I worry about, I don't tend to worry about food, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink. I might think, hmm, what I'm going to make for tea, but I don't think that's quite what Jesus was, was meaning. Actually, he was addressing a people who had a yearly cycle of crops, and if the crops failed, they would be in danger of, of starvation. You think back to the story of Joseph, don't you, and um, where there was a famine spread across the land, and it was only God uh, speaking to Joseph through interpreting Pharaoh's dream that the, could put the godly wisdom in of, of making sure that there was enough. But people were starving, and that often happened. You would starve if the crop failed. Um, so maybe those aren't things that we will get anxious about, but uh, we can get anxious about them at a different level if we're worshipping mammon. We can still be thinking, oh, I don't know what... What shall we do? You know, oh, there's some people coming over. 
for a meal. We, we need to do something really good for them. We need to impress them with what we're going to eat or, or what we're going to drink. Um, Jesus is saying, well, what concern about what we shall wear? But we can still get into, sucked into the world's way of thinking of, well, I'm going to a wedding. What am I going to wear? I've got absolutely nothing to wear. And, and that's just the blokes. But they, they, we can, you know, I've, I've worn that one before. What will people think if I wear this? We can get anxious. We can get worried because we're getting into the world's way of thinking about it. Once we've rejected totally the worship of money, and that, that's not to say we don't enjoy money. All that I said last week, we can still enjoy what God provides us. But once we're over that worship of it, that competitiveness, that thinking we have to accumulate more and more, actually we reject this way of thinking. Jesus points out in verse 25, doesn't he? He says, is not life more... Actually, the new version of the NIV cuts out the word important, and which is probably right. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? There's more to life than, than food and drink and clothes. Um, but if you ask most people, if you went out and did a survey, you know, what are the important things in life? A lot of people would see that they're pretty important. They're pretty important in people's day-to-day lives. All we need to do is look at the TV adverts or the TV programs that are made or the magazines that we can buy, and we just see that that's what much of them are about. So much of a magazine would be full of fashion or uh, food or um, drink or things like that, and always urging you to have more, that you, to encourage you in this dissatisfaction with what you have got. Because it's about worship of mammon. As Christians, let's be aware. I mean, we, you know, it's not, we're not banning reading magazines or, or watching adverts. But let's just be aware. Let's watch and read with open eyes and with open minds about what message is coming through some of these things. The seductiveness that can easily just suck us into the world's way of thinking with all the preoccupations and the worries and the anxieties that go along with it. If we're people who don't worship money, then we will see things very differently. And uh, it's only when we see things in those eyes that we will be able to join Job in, what, in, in worshiping God the way he did. Um, he says in verse 21 of verse 1, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And you think, okay, well, okay, well what, what was it that he was saying? What was he referring to? If you read back into Job chapter 1, you know, he was a man who had much. God blessed him. He had much wealth, um, which was kind of summed up in the numbers of, of camels and oxen and donkeys he had and, and servants. Um, but one day, on one day, he had messengers coming, one after the other. Oh, your oxen and donkeys were grazing, but then the, the Sabaeans attacked them and carried them off um, and put all the servants to death by the sword. <clears throat> then another messenger comes. Well, the fire of God from, fell from the sky, burned up all your sheep and your servants. I'm, I'm the only one left. And then another messenger. Oh, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties. They swept down on your camels. They carried them off. And the servants. And then another messenger come. Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house. It fell on them. They're dead. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. 
we can struggle when we get one piece of bad news, can't we, a day? Oh, no, what's going on? Job, it was like bang, 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 bang. What was his response? He falls down and he worships God. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. How there's real grief there, especially, obviously, over his family. He's not saying, ah, it doesn't matter. Ah, kids, a bit of a pain in the neck anyway. No, he wasn't. He wasn't there's, real, there's real grief that he's suffering. But God has provided all things. He saw correctly. Actually, God has blessed me. God's blessed me with my family. God's blessed me with my wealth. God's blessed me with all of those things. And God is in charge. God is in control and the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And he says in all this, Job didn't sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And we think, how, how, do we get that? how do we get that perspective? We get that perspective by dying to any sense of worship of mammon at all. He says Job didn't sin. Later on, he gets afflicted with painful sores and uh, he's, he's scraping them with pottery um, to try and, and, and relieve the pain. And his wife is looking at him and she says in two verse, chapter 2 verse 9, she says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Your life's fallen apart. And he says, you are talking like a foolishness. Foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Saying, yeah, we've, we can't just embrace all the good that God gives us and not trouble. We can't, we can't on days when things are going well and we've been blessed say, oh God, God is good, praise God. But then on days when things go wrong, just complain and moan against God. Now God is good all the time. All the time God is good. We were singing it this morning. Whatever happens in life, the truth remains, God is good. And we can only start to get near an understanding of this if we lose our worship of money and we worship only God. So that's kind of the context of what Jesus is speaking about. Worry here is saying these things, you know, they're not really that important. This is what people who are godless run after. But you, you know better. You know God. Come and worship God in faith. He gives two examples Jesus, to illustrate how we're cared for by God. Firstly, in verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they, are not, yeah, I got this wrong last time, and are you not much more valuable than they? Um, so, and then the second example is the lilies of the field. He says, or the wildflowers. How do you worry, why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field grow they don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not clothe, much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. He's saying, look, God, God created you. You are God's people. He gave you all the good things anyway. He, you're his. And he created the whole earth. And his hand is on everything. He's in charge. He's sovereign. And he, he sees the birds and he, he looks after them because he created them. He sees the grass and the, and the lilies and uh, the flowers. And he, they're 
they're clothed in splendor. And you are so much more important to God than they are. And so don't worry about, about these things because God cares for you. He says, you of little faith. Now, at this point, I think it's important to stop and make a couple of things clear. Firstly, some people can read this whole passage. This is, some people like this passage and they go, oh yeah, yeah, don't worry about things. Just, just chill out. Just be laid back, you know. Life just goes on. Don't, don't get so stressed. But people sometimes who've got that attitude, they're just leading a kind of laid-back lifestyle about everything. Actually, they never see anything as urgent. They're never really too concerned about getting the job done. They just breeze through the day. They hope everything will turn out fine. Oh, we'll be all right in the end. I don't need to worry about getting a job. Ah, be all right. We'll manage. Is Jesus encouraging this kind of Bob Marley type attitude? I would say no, he's not. It's not what Jesus is talking about at all. In fact, if you take this example of the birds, it's not as though these birds are sitting around on a twig all day waiting to be fed. Unless you've got a pet budgie. The, 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 the birds that Jesus was referring to are, are those that are constantly working and gathering for food. You sit and watch them, they'll be working all the time. And Jesus is saying, but God feeds them. How does he feed them? Actually, he feeds them by providing the food for them, but they've got to go and work for it. They've got to go and find it. They've got to dig up the worms. And Paul says, in, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he, he talks about what one of, his, uh, one of his rules, he says, is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. He says, but even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. And then he goes on. Um, he says, we hear some of you uh, are idle. They're not busy. They're busy bodies, but they're not busy. Such such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. He's, he's very clear. We're not about laziness. We don't want people in the church who are just like, ah, oh, chill out, it's all all right. Put my feet up. Put another DVD in. Get another game out on the PlayStation, whatever. No. He's saying work hard. If you don't work, you won't eat. God's not just going to throw it into your lap. God is our provider, but he designed us to work. And that's how we're provided for. And the second point, which it's good to make at this point, is that uh, unlike Bob Marley, again, Jesus isn't saying every little thing's going to be all right. He's not saying don't worry because it'll all be okay. He's not saying, if you follow me, your life will be fine. You won't have any problems. Financial worries, put them behind you. Sickness and health issues, forget it. If you follow me, if you've got enough faith, everything will be fine. You won't suffer difficulties. If you do suffer difficulties, that's your lack of faith. But if you trust me, you'll be fine. Nothing bad will happen to you. Every little thing is going to be all right. He's not saying that. You might say, hang on, but it says here in this passage, 
God cares for the birds. God cares for the birds, and so he's going to care for it. What's he talking about? But let's look at a, a similar passage just a couple of chapters on. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. He's saying a very similar thing, is Jesus. Um, he says, verse 28, chapter 10. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. It can seem comforting. Jesus says, oh, you're worth more than many sparrows. And, and God, you know, not even a sparrow will fall down dead without God knowing about it. But the truth is, sparrows fall down dead. And God knows about it. God's in control. But bad things still happen. He say, what Jesus is saying is, these things don't happen outside of God's will. It's not outside of God's control. It's not like God is sitting in heaven, constantly looking around and going, oh no, oh no, that's happened now. Oh, oh. I guess we're just going to have to make the best of that situation. I'll, I'll come in, I'll, I'll try and help a little bit. But oh, oh no, I've been concentrating on that. This has gone on. Oh dear me. Oh, I, you know, it's not like God's just reacting to situations all of the time that are happening and making the best of them. Even the decisions that we make, we can think, oh, well, we make the decisions in life and God comes in and, and he blesses them or if we make a bad decision, he'll sort it out maybe or whatever. No, God is in control. God is in total control over the whole world. Nothing can happen without the express will of the Father. But the truth is, birds fall to the ground and die. Some birds have become extinct. And we're being naive if we think that Christians will not have to undergo suffering and trials, even suffering and trials to death. The Bible tells us very clearly that will happen. The fact is, Christians do die of starvation in countries where there is famine. It says, don't worry about what, what we're going to eat. God, God knows about it. He'll provide for us. Yeah. God's in control, but Christians do die of starvation. It's, it's known. Christians can lose all their wealth when the global stock market crashes. Christians can face great tragedies in their life. We've just, a couple of friends of ours, a family of ours, uh, friends of ours, have just had their four-month-old son die suddenly in his sleep. No indication, no warning. It's devastating. It happens. Christians do face family situations where there's long, drawn-out diseases such as Alzheimer's with the knowledge that God is able to heal and may well heal them, may well want to heal them, but often they have no certainty that he will. That's the reality of life. And that's the reality of life as the Bible tells it as well. Don't go away from this passage thinking Jesus is just saying, don't worry about a thing because every little thing's going to be all right. He's not saying that. 
And you might be sitting there thinking, but Mark, you're not really helping me not to worry now. (laughs) You've just pointed out all of the things that might happen. You know, I was okay a few minutes ago, but now (laughs) I'm wrestling with all this stuff again. In fact, you might be sitting here worrying even more. Well, look, we need to face the realities of life as the Bible tells them and as we experience them in order to bring God's comfort and truth. It's cold comfort otherwise. It's not scratching where we itch. It doesn't help just to sort of go, oh, it'll all be okay in the end. Praise God anyway. Now, yeah, let's praise God anyway, as Job did, but not in the kind of glib, oh, never mind. It's not that bad. It's easy to preach on this passage and think and just say, don't worry, it'll all work out fine. But all that will happen is people who are suffering and struggling with issues will go away just thinking, yeah, but you just don't understand what it's like. Or maybe go away feeling guilty oh, maybe I've just, I've just not got this sorted out right. You know, I, I know I shouldn't, but I'm really struggling with this situation. And potentially other people uh, who aren't going through difficulties just thinking, well, people should just trust in God more. Uh, and, you know, they should, they, they should expect where they're at. No. Actually, we're told in the Bible to help others. The Bible's really realistic about life, isn't it? It tells us in Romans 12, 15... It says, weep with those who weep. Romans 12, 15. I think that's the ESV version. Romans 12, uh, 15. Um, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. That's what life is about. So, what is the comfort which God gives? What is it that will stop us worrying about our life? Well, Jesus addresses it on, a, on a, a few different levels. He brings very practical and down-to-earth advice. For example, in verse 27, um, he points out that we can't add any time to our life by worrying about it. Because God's in control of our life. He'll decide when we're going to live and when we're going to die. And by us worrying about it, oh no, if that happens, then we'll die and oh, that could happen and... Well, actually, you're not going to extend your life by worrying about those things. If you're nervous about getting on a plane, oh, I think the plane might crash. It might. (laughs) (laughs) Probably won't, but it might. But actually worrying that it's going to crash won't make it not, and it won't add an hour to your life. So Jesus is saying, so don't worry about it. So it's kind of a practical thing. You know, you're not going to get any older by it. Um, Because that's one of the things that we worry about, isn't it? How long we're going to live for. And again, with a different perspective, we see life in terms of eternity. And and he also says, this is another great one, in verse 34. He says, oh, don't worry about the future, because that's what we worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. You know, tomorrow will worry about itself. He's saying, there's enough to worry about today. Today's got enough trouble of its own. Why are we worrying about tomorrow? Just deal with what the, the hardship that's going on today. Oh, thanks, Jesus. Thanks for reminding me of to the present situation. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's helpful advice. I guess that is similar to the, the, one who, the guy who says, you know, most of them never happened. Great many troubles, most of them never happened. We worry about the future. Well, there's enough to worry about today, Jesus says. But actually, the key to not 
to not worrying and anxiety is knowing that our lives are in God's hands. God is the sovereign Lord. Nothing happens without his say-so. It's going back to this again. We might not understand everything that happens to us in our life, but it is all part of God's plans. God is in control. And the Bible constantly reassures us that those plans are for our ultimate good. So a few uh, verses that say that. Romans 8 and verse 28 Paul says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In everything that happens in life, God is working. He's not oblivious. He's not resting. He's not reacting. He's working actively in everything for the good of those who love him, for the church, for those people he has called to be his own. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11 says, For I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It's all worked out. God knows. He knows these plans. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you'll call upon me and come to pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me. And find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God knows the plans he's got for us. And they're good plans. And they're plans to prosper us. And they're not plans to harm us. God isn't a vindictive God. God isn't doing things for his pleasure to see us struggle. He's doing things in our life which are ultimately for our good. Which may seem painful at the time which may be very painful and not even seem painful. They may be incredibly painful at the time. But ultimately, they are for our good. And God is in control. Jesus' death on the cross wasn't understandable. His disciples struggled with it, didn't they? What's going on here? This must never happen. No, it has to happen. Jesus suffered agonies and torment in the garden. He wrestled with it. Is there any other way? But he knew, no, it's, it's God's plan, not my will. Not my will, but yours. I will go through this. I will drink the cup of suffering. I will drink the cup of your wrath. Because I know it's part of your plan, Father. For me and for the world. For ultimately for good, so that God can win a people to him. That's how we even knew God. And it doesn't make sense, and there's pain and suffering involved. But God is in control. See, some people don't like the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Some people don't like to think God's in control, because we want to think we're in control. So even as Christians, we can think, actually, we'd like to make this, you know, feel we're making some decisions in our life. You know, what's it about? Are we all robots or something? What, what, what sort of life's that? We come up with arguments like that. No, it's comforting to know God is in control. I mean, what's the alternative? Something happens and God's not in control of it. Oh, right. How's that bringing in any comfort? Surely that brings more anxiety and more worry and uncertainty about life. Anything could happen. Actually, if we trust and believe God is in control... God is sovereign, nothing happens, no one dies, 
without God knowing about it and it being part of his will ultimately and that's a hard thing, don't hear me wrong on that. You can get very confused by that. Oh, so it's God's will that my child died. Well, but God's in control. God is in control. But there's comfort in that if we know that God is doing all things for our good. And God has plans for us which are not to harm us. And we might be saying, but it seems like I'm, you're doing this to harm me. It seems like you're doing this to hurt me. Yes, it seems like that. But what does the Bible say? God's not. The truth is God isn't. Otherwise, we're just thinking, does God want to step into this situation? I'm struggling. God, God, can you, do you want to do anything? Are you listening to me? Are you even able to? Is this beyond you? Do you go through all things? Yeah, of course. God is able. The truth is, if we're seeking God's kingdom, we're completely in his plans and purposes. And whatever happens... God is in control and is working all things for our good. As again, we were singing today. So we might be asking ourselves and worrying about all sorts of issues. Food, drink, clothing. What, you know, will I ever get married? I don't worry about that one. But. Will I ever get married? God's, God's response isn't just, don't worry. Yeah, it'll all be all right. Of course you'll get married. You might not, but God is in control. God says, trust me, trust me. Believe that I have all your needs in hand and I have power to work on your behalf. 1 Peter 5, 7. says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It gives you a clear reason. We can cast all our worry, all our anxiety on God. Why? Because he cares for us. That's the reason not to be anxious and worry. Because we can't make anything happen, but God can. And he loves us. And he cares for us. The psalmist in Psalm 56 knew that as well. I think it's David. And he says, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? David knew the reality of situation. You read through the the story of the life of David, people tried to do all sorts to him and did do all sorts to him. But he says, what? I'll trust in you, God. What can man do to me? Fear does strike. Actually, we think, you know, maybe we should be living a sort of victorious life where fear never gets in at all and where we never, we don't sort of fear, have any anxiety at all. No, those things will come in. It's what we do with them that's important. David says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. He didn't say, I'm never afraid. He says, when I'm afraid, then I will trust in you. The things we face in life may well be difficult, but if we trust that God has got our well-being in hand, we will be able to face them. And we will have the attitude, well, what can people do to me? You know, they can take away everything I've got, but actually they can't take away God. I'll still have God. I'll still have an eternity with God. I'll still have a relationship with God now. And I can still know that 
God is working all things for my good. Our main battleground here is unbelief. Unbelief and not in God. And that's what Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. And he's not, he's not saying in a harsh, condemning way. You know, secretly we will think, well, God doesn't want to help us. He can't. Israel had the same fear. We, we can do no better than keep reminding ourselves what God said to them. In Isaiah 40, he says this. This is good to just encourage you. If you're, if you're battling with unbelief, if you're battling with anxiety, does God really care for me? Has he really got me in his hands? Can God do these things? Isaiah 40 from verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught. He reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither like a whirlwind, sweeps them away like chaff. God's very, very powerful. To whom will you compare with me? Or who is my equal, says God? Who's like me? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one, and he calls them all by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. He's explaining who he is. And then he comes down and he says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by God. That's how we can think, isn't it? Oh, God, God doesn't, God's not paying any attention to me. He's not seen it. Do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. You know, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings Like eagles, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We can battle unbelief by meditating on God's word, by seeing what God says, by lifting our heads and our eyes and seeing who God is. Instead of just looking at our situation and saying, this is so difficult, I'm really struggling with this, and there can be real difficult situations. But God is saying, lift your heads. Don't just think, where's God in this time? Oh, God's let me have this happen to me. Anything could happen to me now. Life's so insecure. No, lift your heads. This is the God who created everything. This is the God who can take rulers who seem mighty and powerful and just go, and they're gone, blown away. And yet he looks on us Because we're his beloved children. And he gives us strength. And he renews us so that we can run and walk and not be faint. 
Let's just as we finish, I just want to quote a few verses that John Piper um, highlighted as he was writing about this. And, and he's, he was very honest. He says, he says you know, I, wake, I battle with this. He said, I wake up anxious every morning. That is the state that I wake up in every morning, anxiety. He says, and I have to battle it. I have to see what Scripture says. And he says this, when I'm anxious about something or some meeting or other, I battle unbelief with the promise from Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand, right hand. When I'm anxious about being too weak to do my work, I battle unbelief with the promise of Christ. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's 2 Corinthians 12, 9. When I'm anxious about decisions I have to make about the future, I battle unbelief with the promise I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Psalm 32, verse 8. When I'm anxious about facing opponents, I battle unbelief with the promise, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. When I'm anxious about being sick, I battle unbelief with the promise that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Romans 5, verse 3 onwards. When I'm anxious about getting old, I battle unbelief with the promise, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. That's Isaiah 46, verse 4. When I'm anxious about dying, I battle unbelief with the promise that if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. That's Romans 14, verse 8 and 9. And finally, when I'm anxious that I, might make a sh- I may make shipwreck of my faith and fall away from God, I battle unbelief. With the promise, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Brothers and sisters, we do not know what will lie ahead for us. But God does. And we know this because the Bible says in Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you. And will be with you. He will never leave you. Nor forsake you. So do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So this morning. Let me encourage us all. To take hold of these words of Jesus. As real comfort. Not just glib statements. That we might. Think is a good sound bite but doesn't touch the reality of our lives. But real comfort and help in the battle against anxiety. If we know God as our Father, we can face the future with faith and with hope and not with fear. Let's pray.